Amen. Well, good morning. Well, as I said, we're going to be diving in here to Genesis chapter 3. And um, this is some heavy stuff in this passage right here. This is one of those messages that's like not been like a week in the making, but like 10 years in the making, where you've just been thinking about some of these issues for a long time, and I don't know that I've ever particularly preached a sermon quite like this. So I'm just praying that God would uh, really use this word in your life. And let me kind of full disclosure here. Um, I believe that God wants to give some people some real gospel hope this morning. And I'm feeling particularly inadequate to get it to you. Um, So usually I said, let's pray um, or pray with me. What I'm going to say this morning is, will you pray for me as we begin to open up God's word together and just ask that the Lord would press this deep into our hearts because I think God wants to help some people through these truths this morning. So would you pray for me this morning as we begin the sermon. Father, we come in the name of Jesus Christ. On him we stand. On him I stand for all other ground is sinking sand. And Lord, the ministry to your people this morning is not contingent on my ability, but it's on your spirit. And so I pray In the name of Jesus, that you would meet with us this morning, that you would do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or think. Lord, I pray that you would give us what we ask because we do ask it. You said that we do not have because we do not ask. And so, Father, we come with open hands and open hearts. And I just ask for help. Would you minister to your people in the name of Jesus? Amen. In our dining room, we have a broken chair. Uh, We didn't get rid of it because there's like a set of six of them, you know, and I've got like 100 kids, and so we need every chair, every seat we can get. But when this chair broke a couple years ago, I used my rudimentary carpentry skills to like patch it up with dowel rods and wood glue and straps and all the stuff, right? Um, But it was pretty broken, and It's clear that I did fix the seat to some degree, but it's still very evidently broken. So you can sit on it and and maybe you get pinched if you're not careful. Or perhaps if you lean on it the wrong way, a piece of it will fall out. In fact, this morning as I was walking through the dining room, there was a piece of the chair laying on the table. And I'm like, ah, I see you, Lord. I see you. The, The idea is this, that even though it's still a chair, it's not functioning like a chair should. Still works, kind of, but not the way it was intended to. And I think that is a really good picture of what happened to us when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. Yes, human beings still bear the image of God after the fall. Yes, human beings still have dignity and worth after the fall. Yes, this world in which we live is still beautiful in a sense, and it's still got the fingerprints of the creator all over it. But let's face reality, we don't work quite like we should, do we? And we all feel that a little bit. Things are not quite as they ought to be, and that is because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. 
In fact, you don't have to look very long to see what happened. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 6, here's what it says. The woman took some of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of an evening breeze. The sound that would have been so sweet to them. And then all of a sudden, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. What was once good and beautiful and pure was suddenly marred. Though Adam and Eve were still image bearers. Now there was a wrongness introduced into the equation. And the reality is we all know that is still true today. There is something wrong with us. There is something wrong with the world. The reality is this. We are broken people living in a broken world. When the serpent duped Adam and Eve, humanity and the world in which we live was plunged into brokenness. Romans 8 puts it this way. For the creation was subjected to futility. That's a strong word. Creation was subjected to futility. Look at the screen right now. For we know that the whole creation has been, what's it say? Groaning. Groaning together um, with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the fruits first, we also, what's it say? Groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Have you ever felt that groaning? Ugh. When the earthquake hits Haiti, doesn't something in your heart go, how long? How long, Lord? When the Taliban comes back in control in Afghanistan, doesn't your heart groan? Do you feel it? When you look in the mirror and you say, you're not enough. And that haunts you and hunts you and chases you down all day. Don't you feel it? Don't you feel the groan? When you're at work or with your kids or with your spouse and that temptation to bubble up in anger just lies right there below the surface until you make some sort of unkind comment and you spills out of your mouth and you say, Lord, I did it again. How long? What is wrong with me? We live in a broken world and we are broken people. And the true fact of the matter is something is wrong with us and something is wrong with our world. Or to put it very simply, part of our humanness is our brokenness. In this era of time, part of the human experience will be brokenness. It's pretty dark. Fortunately, as I said, this is not the end of the story. You go back to Genesis 3, and when the Lord pronounces the curse on the world, even in that very pronouncement, there is a ring of hope. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now hold your breath because that offspring will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In the midst of all of this brokenness, there is a ring of hope. 
the snake crusher would come. And although it would harm him to do so, he would destroy the one who had broke the world. This is nothing less than a reference to Jesus' work on the cross on behalf of broken people like you and me. One day, Jesus would fix what was broken. Or in the words of Tolkien, he would make all the sad things come untrue. Look, though the fall was tragic, it is not a tragedy. That's good news. You know what a tragedy is? A tragedy is a story with an unhappy ending. Romeo and Juliet, everybody ends up dead at the end. The fall was tragic, to be sure. It was a dark day, if not the darkest day in human history. But it is not a tragedy because this story is moving on an arc and with a trajectory that will end with the snake crusher stepping on the head of the devil and ending all the brokenness one day, but not yet. But if we are to receive that hope one day, then we have to kind of live in reality today. Which leads me to my point this morning, which is simply this. We must embrace our brokenness of our humanity to experience the hope of Christ. If you really want to have that hope, if you really want to experience what the snake crusher will do, you have to first embrace the fact that you need the snake crusher. You have to say, I need healing in order to receive, in order to receive the treatment of the great physician. So this raises the question, at least in my mind, how did the fall break us? What is this brokenness like? How do we experience this brokenness? I want to make two observations, Lord willing, from Genesis chapter 3 to show us the brokenness of humanity that we all experience. Now let me tell you something. This is going to be a little teachy at the front end, and I promise I'll get more preachy at the back. So like nod at me and don't fall asleep on the first half because you need that to get to the second half. Just, you know, I'm insecure and some of you have on mask and that makes it worse. So like Christ, the solid rock I stand, right? Okay, all right. The brokenness of humanity. Number one, how did the fall break us? We are sinners. We are sinners. When the Lord created Adam and Eve, he gave them tremendous authority. Rule over all of creation. But in that authority, he gave them a single prohibition. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse number 16. You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat it, then you will die. Then the Satan literally slithered in. And drove a wedge between God and man with the forbidden fruit. Look at verse number one of chapter three. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No. No, 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 no. Eve, you got it all wrong here. You certainly won't die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, in fact, here's what's going on, Eve. God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God's just mean. He doesn't know what's best for you. Eat that fruit, Eve. So Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And the human race began to die. Maybe not in the way Eve expected. Maybe Eve thought if we eat it... Dead. Dead on the spot. Well, God didn't do that, so we must be okay. 
but actually an even greater death was introduced into the human race by Adam and Eve's sin. Romans chapter 5, verse number 12. Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. In this way, death spread to all people because all have sin. So although God did not execute Adam and Eve right then and right there because of their disobedience, death did become part of the human experience. When our first parents failed in the garden, sin was introduced into the human genome. And now as descendants of Adam and Eve, sin and death are quite literally in our DNA. To put it succinctly, we have a bent towards badness. We all inherit it. Comes from our father, comes from his father, and his father, and his father, and so on and so forth. We all are bent in the wrong way. Since that day, all of us, without exception, have wanted to live as our own king. I think that's the fundamental cause and root of sin. Sin is wanting to live as your own king. To say, my way is better than God's way. We see it in the toddler who defiantly learns how to declare no. And let me tell you something, folks. You don't have to teach them that at all. My little baby is skilled at no. You see it in the teenager who even though his parents or her parents are trying to protect them, what do they often do? Rebel. Because you don't have to teach people to try to live as their own king. You see it in the unbeliever. Who says, I don't want anything to do with Jesus because that will cost me too much. I won't be able to call the shots in my life anymore. I want to run my life. Other people can be in charge of nations and states and governments. I don't need that, but I will be the captain of my own destiny. We see it even in good church going folks. Who say, God, you can have all of it except this. This little area, no, 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 hands off. Because you can be in charge of some of the things, but ultimately the say goes to me. I want to be my own king. We see this reality everywhere. That is the nature of sin. Saying to God, I know better than you. And that is exactly how Satan tripped Eve up. Did you see it there? When he comes to Eve, he doesn't just say like, hey, this is tasty. This is delicious. That's part of it. But ultimately, Satan appeals to Eve's pride. Look at what it says again, Genesis chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You'll be in charge, Eve. Knowing good and evil, the woman said that the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look on it. Notice this, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. I can be in charge. So she took it and ate it. You see what's happened here? This is the first case of somebody saying, you will not be the boss of me. I'm in charge here. I will run my own life. So in the garden, you have mankind given the ideal environment with the ideal father. They're in literally utopia, not figuratively, literally utopia. And what still happens? They rebel that reveals something profound and tragic. The problem, friends, with mankind is not just out there. The problem actually is in here. Now, I'm not saying that there's not problems in our world. That's not what I'm saying. I'll get to that in a minute. But what I am saying is the problem is not just outside of us. 
we have a problem, and it is us. We are broken because of the fall, and part of that brokenness means we are bent towards badness. We are bent towards rebellion against God. We are bent towards being our own king, and that is not how we were meant to live. Paul's description of his own experience couldn't be more accurate. For I desire to do what is good within me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and against taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Can you identify? Do you ever, like Paul, do things that you don't want to do? I do. Do you ever feel like a war is raging in your heart? The real question is, do you ever feel like a war is not raging in your heart? Do you ever feel like a wretched person? Not because of something that somebody else has done, but because what you have yourself has done. Do you ever feel like a slave to sin? Then friends, welcome to the human race. But here's the good news. Though it may feel countercultural. Though it may feel a little bit backwards to begin to say, you know what, really, the problem's here. It is actually the path to healing. When we begin to acknowledge our own brokenness, it is then and only then that we can begin to feel the master touch of the good physician. Here's how Jesus himself said it. It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The way you get that healing is first say, I'm a sinner. The only way to disqualify you from God's grace is to think you don't need it. It is available to anyone and everyone who would ever say, Lord, I need you. I'm a broken person who's messed up my life. Please come and bring me the healing that I so desperately need. We are sinners. That's how the fall broke us. But that's not the only way the fall broke us. If you've been around the church world any amount of time, like, and you said, well, what is true of mankind? Maybe your first impulsive, instinctive answer would be like, I'm a sinner. And that's 100% accurate. But you know, the Bible actually has something a little more robust to talk about. It not only says that our brokenness of our humanity is our sinfulness, but it also tells us this, that we are sufferers. At some level, most of us are aware that we don't even live up to our own standards. But the fall broke us in a way because we live in a world that is broken, which means we experience suffering in this world. Genesis chapter 3, again, verse number 17. And, he, and, Adam, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it all of the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. In other words, because of sin, life on planet Earth got hard. 
You know that work predates the fall. Adam and Eve were supposed to work prior to the fall. But what happened at the fall is that work got hard. Work isn't evil. It's the suffering induced by the sin that is hard, that makes life difficult in a broken world. We experience brokenness in this world because we live in now a hostile environment. Sin transformed our planet from an ally to an adversary. And so there's hurricanes and earthquakes and diseases and famines. Just like you and I can say, yeah, there's something wrong with me. We can look around the world and say, there's something wrong with it too. We are broken people living in a broken world. Therefore, we will suffer in this world. But we don't just suffer because the world is a bit of a hostile place. We also suffer because we inhabit the planet with another six plus billion people, right? And every single man, woman, boy, and girl who has ever been born on this planet, just like you and I, is a what? Sinner. And you know what sinners do? Sinners, in the words of Liam Neeson, have a particular set of skills. Sinners are really good at what? Sinning. And they especially sin against each other. They're really good at that. You do it really well. Other people really do it well. You put sinners in the same room together and they're like, you know what we ought to do here? I think, I got an idea. Let's sin. You hurt me and I'll hurt you. That'll be fun. And that happens ad infinitum all over the place. And it happened as soon as sin was introduced into the equation. Remember when God comes and talks to Adam. Look at verse number 11. It's almost comical. It's tragic, but it's comical at the same time. Verse number 11. Then God asked, did you eat the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Like, I mean, Adam, he's caught. He is caught. Then the man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate. That was not the question. That's a yes or no. Did you eat the tree? The woman. But he doesn't stop there. I mean, talk about the hubris here. The woman that you gave me. It's not just Eve's fault. It's God's fault. Adam is engaging in the first game of throw someone under the bus. Who can I find? Who can I find? He's just looking for bodies at this point. Just get them under there. It's not me. Not my fault. This is the reality of living in a broken world. We hurt one another. Sin makes us selfish and therefore we become not just victims but perpetrators. Because of this, we not only do bad things ourselves, we also experience bad things at the hands of others. When you think about the doctrine of humanity in scripture, you need to think this way. Human beings are sinners and sufferers. That's part of what it means to be human in this world. Human beings are sinners and sufferers. As Jesus reminded us over in John chapter 16, in this world you will have trouble. Here's what that means. Sometimes life in this world is difficult because what you have done. Right? Do we know that? Like sometimes life is hard because you did something foolish. 
a relationship is damaged because you acted in anger. Finances are challenging because you bought on impulse without self-control. You feel distant from the Lord because you've been yielding to temptation. In other words, sometimes you make your own life difficult by choices that you make. That is a reality of living in a broken world. But that's not the only part of it. Sometimes life in this world is difficult, not because what you have done, but because what's been done to you. No doubt all of us in this room have been treated or judged unfairly. And that hurts, right? All of us have felt the sting of unkind words. All of us have lost loved ones too soon or felt the loneliness of being rejected. Some have even suffered abuse at the hands of those who were to protect them. The brokenness in this world is many faceted. We feel that broken experience, yes, because we are sinners, but also because we are sufferers. Sometimes life is hard because of what you've done. Sometimes life is hard because of what's been done to you. Both of those are biblical realities, and we need to embrace them if we're to experience the hope that is available in Christ. So you say, Ryan, you, you've basically told us a sad story thus far. We're sinners. We're sufferers. Deal with it. So what do we do? When we embrace these realities, how do we respond? Let me offer three suggestions of what you do with the brokenness of this world. First, grasp the brokenness of this world. This is a little weak, but I needed a G. So um, what I mean by this is you must simply acknowledge that you and every other person in this world that you know are broken. Therefore, you need to expect a good deal of brokenness in your life. Now, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, okay? I'm not. But living in a broken world means that you're not immune from it. I think today in our social media, image-obsessed society, there's a tremendous pressure to believe in the words of the great philosopher Emmett from the Lego movie. Everything is awesome! We think that life is supposed to be awesome all the time. But guys, it's not. Life is not awesome all the time. I think overall, life is awesome. There's beauty in it. But we are broken people living in a broken world. And therefore, we should not be shocked when suffering comes into our life. In fact, Jesus himself was referred to in Isaiah 53 as a man of suffering and familiar with pain. That just does not sound to me like a person who is living his best life. Look, here's the reality. Often the path to following Jesus will not be the road of least resistance in this world. We need to embrace the reality that hardness does not equal badness. Okay, look at that equation right there. Hardness does not equal badness. I think there is a temptation in this world, and I would say particularly among younger folks, to believe that 
if things are not going like great, or people are not recognizing you, or you're not climbing as quickly as you like, or you're just not having the best day of your life for weeks on end, that somehow you're doing it wrong. The reality is you may just be doing it human. Hardness does not equal badness. Sometimes hardness equals goodness. Often the path to following our Savior in a broken world is a path fraught with dangers. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. We have to walk the road with Jesus expecting, expecting, grasping that we are living in a hostile environment. And that means oftentimes life in this world will be hard. Now, if you know me at all, you know I am not endorsing some sort of Eeyore outlook on life. Like, I am a very optimistic person. In fact, this is not the sermon today, but maybe one day. I believe Christians should be the most optimistic people on the, in the world because of the character of God and the promises of the word. We're not living in a tragedy, folks. We're living in a comedy. There's a happy ending to our story. And therefore, we should have an outlook towards the future, a long-term perspective towards the future that is ultimately optimistic and joy-filled. But it doesn't mean that the path is not difficult. The emotional note of the Bible is sorrowful yet always rejoicing. It's a mingled experience. And today, I just, wanna, I just want some of you to be free to alleviate yourself from the burden of the Instagram on top of the world, gotta be killing it delusion. I think that's exactly what it is. It's a delusion. In this world, you will have trouble. It will be hard. And embrace the brokenness of life. Expect and even lean into the brokenness that God has given you in this world. Second, not only grasp the brokenness of the world, grieve the brokenness in your life. Look, embracing the brokenness is not some sort of call to detached stoicism. You understand what I mean by that? Like when you say, yeah, the world is broken, it doesn't mean you just kind of like neuter your emotions all of a sudden and like feel nothing in the world. That's not what the scripture calls us to. I do not think the mantra of the Christian life ought to be, it is what it is. Now, I'm not saying you should just remove that from your vocabulary altogether. Sometimes I say it. But what I am saying is that is a less than human response to the world. If that's just the way you respond to everything, it is what it is. Don't feel, don't make myself vulnerable, don't experience it, don't grieve with people. I think that is pushing down part of the humanity that God has given us, part of how we're supposed to live. If Jesus could weep, if Jesus could enter into suffering with people, even though he knew he was going to fix it, then we shouldn't be immune to that either. And that means sometimes it is completely appropriate for you to grieve. In a room this size, there are people who have experienced terrible things. Or are experiencing them right now. 
it's okay to say, this stinks. It's okay to look at your heart and see that pattern of sin that has been there for far too long. Say, Lord, I'm a mess. God, help me. What am I doing? I think it is good and right and appropriate to grieve of our brokenness. To look at the suffering in our world, to look at the suffering in our hearts, to look at our sinful tendency and say, this is wrong. And it's sad. And it stings. And I just want to give you permission to do that today. Permission to look at your own brokenness and not ignore it. Wrap a tight bow on it, say, I'm a Christian, and so everything's okay. No, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. The Bible actually gives us permission to lament. In the Psalms, David fills them with sorrow, both for what he has done and for what has been done to him. Notice this in Psalm 6. He does it beautifully here. Be gracious to me, Lord. For I am weak. Heal me. Lord, for my bones are shaking. My whole being is shaken with terror. And you, Lord, how long? Turn. Rescue me. Save me because of your faithful love. For there is no remembrance of you in death. Who can thank you in Sheol? I'm weary. I'm weary from my groaning and with my tears, and I dampen my bed and drench my couch every night. My eyes are swollen from grief, and they grow old because of my enemies. Doesn't sound like a worship song, does it? And yet this is entering into our human experience. That there are times where it is good and right and appropriate to grieve the brokenness of our world. And David doesn't keep it anesthetic. He grieves his own sin. And he grieves what's happened to him. Lord, people are hurting me. This is essentially David saying, Lord, I'm hurting. Help me. For no matter what your story is, it is appropriate for you to lament to the Lord that you are messed up and that messed up things have happened to you. That's okay. I think that's even godly to do. Look, I'm not suggesting regret. I'm not mincing words here, but I'm just trying to form some categories for you. What I think regret is, is it kind of looks at the past and it leaves with a note of despair. I can't change it. It's hopeless. It's no good. What I'm suggesting is lament which is looking at the past and saying, that's bad, it stinks, it hurts. Lord, you take it. I'm not strong enough. You take it. It ends with a note of hope. And I think that's the way the Psalms particularly end. They take the burdens, they look them dead in the eye, and they say, I'm going to give those to the Lord. And that's the third point here. Don't just grasp the brokenness of the world and grieve the brokenness in your life, but give the brokenness to God. When Jesus came to earth, he came to fix what Adam broke. So on the cross, Jesus not only died for our sins, 
but he died for our suffering. He not only took the brokenness of sin, but the brokenness of suffering on himself. You say, what do you mean by that, Ryan? Well, look at Isaiah chapter 53. Look at how the death of Jesus is described. Yet he, speaking of Christ, bore our sickness and he carried our pains. That's not sin, that's brokenness. But we, in turn, regarded him as stricken and struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. That's the sin part. The punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed. We are made whole by his wounds. Look, listen. I mean, get your head around this, and it will change the game. There is no sin in you that is greater than the grace and mercy that is in Christ. And there is no suffering that has been put on top of you that can separate you from the grace and mercy that is in Christ. There is literally nothing in all of creation in hell below that can separate you from the trumping work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He's always got the trump card. His grace is enough. I am a bad sinner. I think I've suffered little in my life, honestly. But some of you feel the opposite way. It doesn't matter. Jesus is, is enough for both your sin and your suffering, no matter what that hodgepodge that you bring to the table is. His shoulders are broad enough to bear them. You were never meant to carry those. And here's the good news. You might hear this and you say, Ryan, but you don't know my story. There are things I have done. I've told nobody. I never will. Take them to the grave. They are so shameful. Or you might say, there are things that have been done for me. I can't bear to think about them. Even for a second. I mean, they're just, they're in a closet, locked away, in a safe, through the safe in the sea. I mean, I, I just can't even go there. You don't know my story. There is no way Christ can receive me. But let's listen to the words of Jesus then. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus describes his heart towards broken people. And he says these beautiful words. Come to me. All you who are burdened. And weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me. Listen, listen to the heart of the Savior. Because I am lowly or gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. That's an invitation from the Savior of the universe who is saying, I'm gentle. I won't hurt you. Come. Those burdens are too heavy for you to bear. But if I got the whole world in my hands, guess what my shoulders can do? Bring them. There is not too much for me. Look. And Jesus identifies with us. He was broke for our brokenness. Jesus was broken for our brokenness so that he could take all of that on himself. 
He wants to bear your burdens. And the news gets even better. He's so strong that he will carry them until they are no more. He will not drop those burdens. Because Jesus didn't just come to fix us. Jesus came to fix everything. There is coming a day when there will be no more brokenness. In me, in you, in any human being that's ever walked the planet or the earth itself. One day, the great snake crusher, the great burden bearer, the one whose yoke is easy and burden is light will come and he will make all of the sad things come untrue. Revelation chapter 21, verse number three. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne because it's gotta be loud. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will be with them and they will be his people and he himself will be with them and he will be their God. Listen, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He doesn't say there are no tears. He says he will wipe them away. Death will be no more and grief will be no more and crying will be no more and pain will be no more. Why? Because the previous things have passed away. Give Give your brokenness to God. That is why he came. He came to bear all the wrongness in us with all the rightness that is in Jesus. So bring your burdens to him. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you to respond here in just a moment. I don't know your story. But I know God does. And I know some of you, he wants to take your burdens. Whether it's sin or whether it's suffering. And take them on his shoulders so that you could be healed. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Christ. And thank you that he did the work that we could not do. Thank you that he was broken for our brokenness. And that in him, in the great physician, we can be healed. Lord, I just pray for these people right now. Some of them have pain in their heart that they have carried a long time. And I pray today you would take it. Whether it's what they've done or what's been done to them. I pray that they would lay it at the feet of Christ. And let your broad shoulders carry those burdens for them. In his name we pray. Amen. Right now, the team is going to be standing by throughout the room. And we're going to sing. I just want to invite you to pray. You know, the old song says, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins, there's a sinfulness, and griefs, there's the suffering to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. There's nothing magical about somebody praying for you, but there is something real. And so these folks are just standing by. And if you'd like to just say, hey, can you just pray for me? Man, maybe may you don't even have the words to share. They would just love to spend a minute and praying for you. If you want to talk to them, they would love to do that. But they are here just to minister to you. Can we stand on our feet? And we're going to sing that song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And if you'd like to receive prayer, there are people standing by here.